I have the pizza commercial stuck in my head. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, pizza. That is completely right. Uh, it's the more this, more that. <laughs> so then I don't know. I don't know. No, it's actually really funny. I have um, I the Burger King commercial stuck in my head. Oh, the horrible one. The Whopper, Whopper, Whopper. I hate Whopper. it. I hate that <laughs> so much. Hello, my name is Melissa Trudeau. I'm a biology major and an anthropology minor. Hi, I'm Naomi Guerrero. I'm a sociology major, anthropology minor. Hello, my name is Farah Alfaraj. I'm a history major and anthropology minor. My name is Daniel Galvet. I'm a biology major and anthropology minor. And we are the Anthrophiles. Hey guys, can I ask you guys a stupid question? Go for it. Uh, what is perception? Damn, who wants to start? I kind of think as of perception as like a framework of thinking about things. Um, like how I understand a certain topic or how I go to like go about understanding a topic. I think of perception as like your sensory experience of the world, like these signals that are sent through your eyes, nose, ears, and eventually to your brain. You would say that by a major. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so if perception is how we perceive like the world outside of us, what would introception be? Interception? Yeah, Naomi, you got an answer? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Care to explain? Do you want to take a guess? Do you want to take a guess? Um, probably not. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you got it, girl. That's I don't. Good. I don't know the definition, but I think you do. Yeah, I I do have notes. <laughs> <laughs> so interception is how we perceive the insides of our bodies. So like, when you perceive perceive. I did air quotes. You can't see me. But um, <laughs> when you like know about your heart rate or when you feel hungry or when you're in pain, those are signals that come from the inside of your body mm-hmm. uh, and tell you like what's going on. So why are, you, are we talking about that? Um, it turns out that not everyone perceives these signals like with the same accuracy or frequency, and not everyone does it the same way. These differences can be found between individuals, but also across different cultures. Cool. Which is weird. Interesting. <laughs> I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, and it, I don't really like thinking about it, because it's like, <laughs> it's kind of freaky if you think about it. It's like, wow, like where I grew up and how I grew up is completely different from like most of like the other people, which makes my view on the world different. And you can see that very clearly when someone tells a SpongeBob joke, and I'm like, I watch SpongeBob in Arabic. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, so there are a lot of differences uh, across culture, and it turns out that like the way that we feel our bodies, the way that we perceive our bodies, uh, can change depending on your culture. Um, so. There have been a few studies into this. We're going to start by just talking talking about uh, interception, like on a vague, like broad. That's the word on a broad scale, and then we'll go into a couple like case studies. <laughs> okay, so let's start with uh, studies into interception in general. So there have been a couple. Um, mostly, these researchers have been. A comparison like between like Eastern and Western cultures unfortunately not a lot of research has been done like between other cultures and things so we don't really know 
we can't like um, generalize this to the rest of the world, like these um, conclusions, because not enough research has been done. So one fact that they've discovered is that members of non-Western cultures tend to exhibit higher level, I'm just quoting this, that's cheating. Um, <laughs> Plagiarism, get her. <laughs> Plagiarism. Uh, but, but yeah, so um, in Western cultures, we tend to have like lower levels of somatic awareness, meaning mm. like the way that we uh, like feel like our bodies like physically fi yeah thank yeah. you the way that we feel our bodies physically is is less aware than like more eastern cultures mm -hmm. but we tend to have higher um interceptive accuracy so we can easier tell like when we're hungry when our heart rate is too high and things like that somatization is um like the physical things that accompany when you have like an emotion or like mental distress and things like that, it can accompany anxiety, depression, um, even like post-traumatic stress and panic disorder, things like that. Mm. Um, they're all represented in your body and the way you feel your body. You, you're talking about like how our body reacts to certain like things like stress or depression. Is it like, are you saying like it could be also like physical indicators like shaking the leg or shaking in general, is that something similar to what you're talking about yeah so like the ways that um like anxiety and stuff like manifest in your body so if you're like angry and you start to feel like really hot mm. that's uh somatization or if like you're panicking and you feel like your heart rate is starting to speed up um and your your breathing is starting to speed up um those are things that are like more inside your body mm -hmm. those are interceptive um so your ability to like recognize that those things are happening in your body and um, your ability to like know it accurately mm -hmm. are all tied to interception. So like when someone says, oh, I got the shakes, that's um, basically <laughs> saying, yeah, oh, yeah. this is interception. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. So it's interesting because a lot of cultures have uh, like an emphasis on like doing things like meditation, yoga and mindfulness. Um, these sort of activities are like supposed to center you in your body and while they do seem to like succeed in making people aware of their bodies more they actually don't seem to improve like actual accuracy of interception oh that's interesting which is weird right yeah I I, that's really interesting because like you would assume that all these practices that centers around mind and body that like this will help but not necessarily which is very i because like like i was always recommended like with like if i was going through like some stressful like events or situations like my therapist would be like hey why don't you go and meditate or try to do something similar to like focus on your mind and body but like now that you're saying that it's just like that's very interesting to be like is this actually helpful question mark I mean, I think it definitely does help, like, center yourself, and it mm -hmm. can help with your emotions, even if it doesn't necessarily enhance your ability to, like, understand the physical sensations in your body. Mm. I don't know. In that your research, point. did you find any activities that are known to improve that awareness? So it was weird. The answer is no. <laughs> well, um, I got a question for yeah, that, actually. Yeah. Is there, a, like, any activity that we can do 
like is it has been has it been like are we as humans do we have the capability to have like more I can't think of the words but like be able to feel introception stuff inside I would imagine body. given that there's already uh, a spectrum of level of awareness across different cultures yeah but like isn't this is it set at a certain level like when you're like three years old you're done you know like mm. you've like developed that and oh, you can't develop no. it any further I don't know that would definitely be very interesting to look into though because yeah. I would imagine like it changes the website that I got the definition for interception from was a kid's website oh. like explaining it as like um like emotional regulation so like you can tell when you're getting angry because you feel your body getting hot mm -hmm. and things like that to help kids like understand how they're mm -hmm. feeling so it would be interesting to see if like yeah no i think that's really cool and also just like the idea of how we develop being able to tell how we're feeling and when it doesn't develop and if there's something wrong with you if it doesn't develop or if it's like your environment I was just curious if you had read anything about what causes those differences and why there are these sensations that appear to be kind of like endemic to certain groups. Yes, yeah, so um, mental health is an important facet in this because there's a lot of difference, like you said, with um, like those, those are called uh, culture-bound syndromes. Um, and there's a lot of difference across cultures with them, which is very interesting. Um, so it can so your culture can determine whether or not you're going to seek help for a mental illness um what kind of help you're going to be looking for uh and even like how you like describe how you're feeling so um for example um this is an example from the text it says Asian patients, for example, are more likely to report their somatic symptoms, such as dizziness, while not reporting their emotional symptoms. Yet, when questioned further, they do acknowledge having emotional symptoms. So it's not just how you are perceiving what's happening to you with your like mental illness and things like that, but it's also how you're communicating it to the people around you and whether or not you're going to get help for it. Um, but with these culture-bound syndromes, I'm not sure what causes them. Did you do research into that? This <laughs> I was didn't. a tangent. No. <laughs> <laughs> I actu actually, I, I have a couple of personal anecdotes about that, which Ooh. I thought was really interesting because when I have had trouble with, like, you know, just generally in life, as we all do, uh, <laughs> I thought it was, um, like, I wouldn't, you know, I didn't know, like, oh, that's something I could, like, be able to fix if I just, like, went and, like, sought help. Um, and I noticed that in my family as well, but when I like moved here, I was just like, oh, we can, there are like resources to help. Like I had a lot of trouble in school, like learning disabilities and stuff like that, where I was just like, ooh, I like, I don't know what's going on. And to have people provide me with resources when they noticed I was struggling, I was like, I didn't realize we could ask for help for that. And prior to this, while I was reading the notes for this podcast, I was talking with a, a classmate uh, slash peer in the student center and she said something similar she said i actually got half diagnosed with dyslexia in school like through my high school but i never got it on paper so they oh. administered a test for her said yeah. this test says that you have dyslexia 
but we can't officially put it on paper because first of all that costs money and we can't do it since we're a school and she was like okay well now I know I have this learning disability but I can't get any help for it because I'm not officially diagnosed which I thought was interesting because the reason stopping this one person from getting help that they need is like a piece of paper yeah and money and it's like come on what's going on here yeah. Like, why does a piece of paper have to prove that you have this disability? Yeah, and then, like, there's the whole, like, system of, like, paperwork and, yeah. yeah. No, that's a very interesting part of our culture that does, like, stop people from getting help mm-hmm. in many cases. And some cultures, it's, like, valuing things like stoicism and not necessarily wanting people to know that you have a mental illness because you'll be, like, stigmatized. Yes. And in other countries, it's because, like with our culture even if you aren't necessarily going to feel bad for it you're still going to have to go bankrupt yeah and for I, a piece of paper i think for cultures such as asian cultures like the whole idea of you know you have to like you you're like there are multiple reasons why the first one is like religious or societal whatever it is because it's like well if you were closer to god you wouldn't have felt that way and that always like rubbed me off the wrong way i was like mm, what do you mean like I could be close to God and I could be like yeah. in tune with my religion just still suffer through things so Naomi has a burning yeah, burning, I burning question I can see your face yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think like coming from experience I think like with the idea of like mental health issues I was not really familiar with it because I grew up in a like Asian household so in a sense like there's a lot of family dynamics that play along which like you have to like from my experience like you have to pretend to be okay because that's what my family have done for a long time like the idea of having mental like health issues like anxiety or depression it's not normal in like certain households especially like asian households it's because like they don't want to have the idea that the family is not perfect Mm -hmm. so with that in like with that in mind like it was I didn't get like with like therapy and all that it didn't I didn't get therapy until later on because at first I was like I'm fine everything's fine perfect everything's perfect I may or may not be crying but like everything's fine but in reality like yes like there's also more to that there's like there's family dynamics and societal like cultural expectations but there's also like what you said like insurance and how there's a lot of paperwork to do to get these resources is that like it's very like having these sources to have to get help is very limited for people building off Naomi's um even when you like like when they think you need therapy when your family's fine they're like and my family was um like open to that and you know it's like oh wow like that's different because everyone in the rest of my household's like whoa therapy I'm perfectly fine. I'm not a crazy person because they perceive it that way. But then once you go there, you're like, I don't think there's anything wrong with me because for so long I've been made to think that there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. And if I just pretend, I'll get through it. Yeah. That's another um, thing that the Surgeon General uh, Office mentions is that um, part of a culture is like the belief of whether a mental illness is like real or imagined. So whether or not it's just like outwardly pretending like everything is fine or just believing like, no, this is just the way that my brain works. It's got to be okay because mental illness isn't real. Um, Things like that um, 
are, are a part of culture and can change the way that we feel about our mental illness, uh, get treated for it, and things like that. I, I also wanted to include, like, like, coming from, like, also, it's, like, in a lot of Asian countries with the idea of, like, mental Ill- like health, like, it's very stigmatized from what you said. It's very stigmatized, and you could tell if you look at, like, the highest suicide rates or, like, anxiety rates, it's primarily in Asian countries. Because I think that's because they're, they don't really try to address the idea of mental health issues, like mental health awareness, because they don't want to perceive, like, they stigmatize it so much that they think that it's wrong. It's like, it's like a sin, not like a sin, but like it's super wrong to have it. So people being open of like, oh, I am going through these certain things and I don't know how to get these resources, they ignore that, kind of. Daniel. And to Naomi's point, I remember one of the notes you included, um, Melissa, was that I think it was uh, Japanese college students were found to describe their health status more through like bodily descriptors rather than physical, I mean, um, mental ones, and that they wouldn't even discuss their emotional symptoms. I think you said earlier, like, unless they were asked about it, so. Yeah, so there's been like a couple of, I'm trying to find where I have that in my notes, but, um, with the being asked about like mental illness and things like that, the majority of Asian patients um, will focus on their physical symptoms, uh, like I said, like dizziness and things like that, and sort of ignore any kind of emotional thing until they're like questioned further. Um, and the thing about the Japanese school students is somewhere in here. Hold on. <laughs> well, just to build off um, Naomi's point about how the highest suicide rates are in Asian countries, you can also see like it's not just in schools or in everyday life. It's like, well, it is in everyday life, but it's literally everywhere in everyday life. Like it's in your job when you like you graduated from school, you graduated from high school and college and all that, and you made it to your job. Your job also kind of isolates you. The whole mindset about it is to not seek help to bottle that up and even when you like do do something about it when you like take your own life you that's viewed by people like it's not viewed like we view it here in the u.s we're like oh we should have known and we should like look for it. it's viewed as like dishonorable mm. which like speaks volumes to how other cultures mm. perceive mental illnesses i agree because like I know from what I know is that in Japan there's a thing called a suicide forest where there's where people go mm-hmm. to do it and you know it's it's not they don't in a way they perceive it as sacred because that's where these people rest so even though like they do have like oh like this we don't really we don't really perceive mental health like in a good way but they also have locations where they have this sort of like respect as well which i found really interesting because like in a way like even though we see like they see it as a stigma they also see it in a sense respect and also honor so people who go there they like they're like this is highly recommended that like you should just not if you see like there's sometimes you'll see a body and and a trigger warning but like 
um some some things like that like you have to respect the body after you see it or like report it to the police so that they could lay it to rest yeah so speaking of the end of the life we can go now to the beginning of the life with our next case study which is labor so apparently um the way that women or female-bodied individuals experience labor is not the same. Uh, This study um, was conducted on uh, roughly like 40% of the births um, in the last quarter of 2019 that happened in this hospital. Um, There were 246 women uh, of multiple different different cultures and they studied the like ways that they expressed pain um and um, the different coping mechanisms that they had for that pain so um one of the things that they found is that cultures that value stoicism tended to avoid externalizing their pain so they weren't screaming groaning cussing things like that they were kind of trying to like have more um what's the word Stoic. Yeah, stoic faces. Um, <laughs> they were trying to seem like they weren't in pain at all. Um, whereas um, other cultural groups were more comfortable with expressing their pain. Um, and it seemed like they were actually able to cope better or alleviate their pain by screaming and groaning and things like that. Um, which is very interesting. It's interesting how, like, birth um. <laughs> <laughs> the perception of pain and how you perceive it if you mm-hmm. hold it in if you like you're like no i'm not going to like scream i'm not going to do anything does it almost make you feel no pain does it work versus <laughs> when you like scream your heart out curse the day you wanted a baby <laughs> and then you're like oh wow this is this is this makes me feel better because i'm like like letting it all out yeah i look at that and i'm really fascinated by just how deeply seated some of these ideas of you know pain equating to weakness are that you know you're experiencing something that i think is probably one of the most painful things a human being can experience and there you are just (laughs) trying not to look weak look weak so yeah yeah, it's it's wild to think about how how these beliefs can just kind of pervade our our you know all fibers of our being yeah in mental and in physical like aspects i think that's just really interesting like daniel said i feel like it's really funny that you're like trying to hold it in when we're like literally giving life that's insane yeah it's it's interesting have you guys seen this isn't in my notes but have you guys seen um the movie babies i believe it's called i don't think so it's like this documentary it's done in like a bunch of different First of all, watch babies. It's so cool. <laughs> it was a documentary, and they filmed uh, like women in labor and the first couple months of life of their babies uh, in like places uh, all across the world. So there was like an American baby, there was, I believe, a Chinese baby, uh, a baby from Mongolia, um, somewhere in Africa. I can't remember off the top of my head, but there were a bunch of babies from different cu- cultures across the world. It was really interesting. The way that it connects is that they did film the like labor process and in some of the cultures you know like in america like the women are screaming they're like you know holding their partner's hand and things like that but in other cultures like it looks 
very calm and they're just kind of like giving birth and then the baby just comes out and it's like wow that looked like it didn't hurt at all i can't say it doesn't but (laughs) (laughs) it seems that way from the outside but do you like think that like the process of pain is a gender expectation as in when like in certain cultures when a woman gives birth are they expected to present themselves in a different in a certain way when giving birth i think that definitely could play into it yeah as in like oh if you're screaming like what we're used to in like the west like that's fine but if it's another country is it more quote-unquote feminine or is it how is it this is there like a certain way that a woman or a person who's giving birth is expected to present themselves while giving birth well it's interesting because what i was thinking of when you said that and earlier when we were talking about mental health is that um you know there's obviously that trope of like expressing emotions is not a masculine thing so you see that a lot with like i've certainly seen in my families like generationally where you don't men don't want to talk about their feelings or things like that and it's interesting that women experiencing and expressing pain would be something that's frowned upon when like physical pain when men in some cultures aren't expected to express and experience emotional pain so i don't know if there's a correlation there but i just found that interesting well, that definitely is really interesting that there there are also like your culture does play a part in it but the gender and different like roles that you play within that culture also affect it that was also mentioned in the introspection article. Um, there are a lot of factors that like can affect how you feel, and one of them is is gender and things like that. Well, I think it's also interesting to think of gender in that culture and how that's perceived. Because from my own like perspective, and Naomi pointed out how it's like. Um, I'm sorry, not Naomi. Melissa pointed out how. It was like in different cultures, you get like a scene in America where like the woman is screaming and like grasping things, while in other cultures it like, be- like almost looks like a calming scene. I wonder if that is like culturally viewed as like a beautiful moment where you're like, because mm-hmm. I've seen it before where it's like portrayed as like this really inspirational, mm-hmm. um, beautiful moment of like creating life and everyone's just like really happy, including the mother. Yeah. Like maybe. Like you're almost soiling that by screaming, screaming. and making it. Just, yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's that really interesting. I mean, that could still be pretty, like, it can still be a beautiful moment even when you're screaming. But also, another thing is um, when people are giving birth in their own homes, mm-hmm. like, I feel like natural births are also less screaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've noticed that a lot. I don't mm-hmm. know. If, what do you guys think? That does play into the research because it mentions that when you have, like, a companion of your choice and someone to help comfort you, it has, like, an impact on how you cope with the labor experience so it seems to decrease pain when you have more comfort so I wonder if like you're saying like if it's perceived as a beautiful moment instead of like ugly and screaming or <laughs> kind like, of thing or just bloody general, like, yeah. I don't want to be like viewed as weak it's more like I am focusing so hard on not like or like on giving birth rather than like how much it hurts yeah 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 Naomi, you had a, a point. A I forgot. Oh, no. <laughs> that's, okay. that's okay. That's <laughs> okay. No, you're fine. But yeah, I'm seeing a lot of parallels to the mental health um, things you cited because 
I was curious with, with, with that conversation if, you know, suppression of these things makes symptoms worse. You know, obviously if you're not expressing something and you're not um, disclosing it, it's harder to, you know, discern it for one thing and then treat it effectively. So imagine in this case, especially since it said that the women who were expressing their pain, did, did it say they felt better? Uh, it said that it helped alleviate it, I believe. Yeah, so I think it's interesting that in a lot of these cases, what we're finding is this suppression of feelings and emotions and thoughts and physical experiences seems to make them worse almost across the board. Yeah, it's very interesting. No, I agree with that. I think I also kind of noticed that, which was also one of my questions. It's like, how much do you actually feel the pain? If that makes sense. Okay. Or like, Can you it, elaborate on that? Like, is it is pain, tre- <laughs> like when you're giving birth, is pain treated as like secondary? Like it's not mm. the main thing that I'm feeling right now. Naomi. I mean, then again, there's a lot of people who like do not, who don't believe that pain during pregnancy is that painful. Or that bad. Not or true. that bad. Yeah. So in a way, it's like they perceive like it's it, i just find it ironic because they're like oh this is a painful process but are they truly in pain or are they faking it because there's also certain stereotypes with that um actually building off of what naomi said i was wondering could it just be like just perceived pain that you think it's going to be painful so you feel it yourself fulfilling that pain idea well i didn't have a, like a question here i don't know if there's anything melissa can respond with i was just writing notes um <laughs> It said that, I wrote down that it was crazy that cultural identity of women in labor can influence the manifestation of pain, not just the experience of it, but I don't exactly remember what I'm citing there, but it sounds like that kind of plays a role. Not saying that anyone's like imagining it or, but that people experience it differently based on where they come from. And I think there is a, there is a definitely like a, um, like a cultural slash psychological phenomenon of just like if this is your truth, if you believe that giving birth is painful and you've been told that by like everyone in your family who has given birth, you're just going to know, like going going to expect it to be painful. Even if it wasn't that painful, you're gonna be like, holy crap, this is the worst pain I've ever felt in my entire life. Like it could still be like like a placebo effect. Does that make sense? I don't know my psych vocab. Yeah, like for example, like you mentioned about like, in home births, people feel more comfortable when giving birth and don't, they don't really feel as much pain because they have people to comfort them. Like it reminds me of like how, especially like in hospitals now when we have a pregnant person go to the hospital, the environment is very stressful, I would say. Like you're surrounded, yeah. by, you're surrounded by nurses and also like doctors. They don't really provide any sort of comfort except the one only person that is allowed to come and there's a possibility that the person might not be able to come. So in that sense, like if a per- like in having the setting in a hospital, that increases more stress and more likely for the person to be like, oh my God, I, I don't, this is gonna be painful because there's th- people are surrounding me, I'm overwhelmed, what am I gonna do? So they're most likely gonna feel that manifestation of pain and it might be painful for them. Yeah, and, and with that too, when we put people in hospitals, like not only is it more stressful and so that enhances how uncomfortable of a situation it is, another thing is when you're at the hospital, you go there because you're sick. You go there because there's something wrong with you. 
And if you're in that environment, you're thinking, oh, something's wrong with me. Oh, I feel pain. Oh, that's bad. You're going to be feeling more pain. You're going to be more upset. And that's how our culture changes our perception and how, like we talked about in natural births or when you're looking at different cultures when they're giving birth, their birth is usually, even if it wasn't a hospital, thank you, colonization, um, (laughs) or in different different (laughs) settings where it's like um, home births or if it's like outside of your village house or whatever it is or like when like the midwives come running to you and I'm like trying to draw a picture and you're painting a picture in your mind I don't I don't know if I'm there yet but point is <laughs> when you perceive like yourself as being sick and you don't know that you're perceiving yourself as being sick because our culture has just been it's the structure that we think within and it's the frame like we talked about bringing it back all the way to the beginning of the episode <laughs> when we talk about what we think perception is and we take it as a lens and a framework of how we understand ourselves and our pain and our bodies then it's like what am I feeling and is my feeling bad and you can't go like you know invalidate someone's perception but we can definitely like help them understand why we perceive things that way if that makes sense and speaking of different experiences of bodily functions, Melissa, I believe you had another case study you wanted to talk about? Yes, and it's still about women. Um, happy <laughs> Women's f- Month. Have, is it Women's Month? Yeah, it's March. Oh my gosh. If this comes out in March, Happy Women's Month, everyone. Yeah, Thank I you, hope Farrah. So. Yeah. Uh, but this is another one that has to do with uh, female reproduction. Um, this is menopause. Ooh. So do you guys want to list some common menopause symptoms? Like when you think menopause, what do you think is going to happen to you specifically, Daniel? I'm actually glad you mentioned that because um, I've been watching, this is going to sound irrelevant, I know, but I've actually been rewatching that 70s show and oh I'm, cur- I'm currently on season five and one of the main plot points is that Kitty, the mother, is going through menopause. <laughs> and in reading this, it made me think a lot about this because the way it's portrayed is... I would say, not that I let sitcoms, you know, dictate my worldview, no, but um, yeah, no, no. <laughs> but it definitely made me think about, you know, how things are portrayed versus how they actually are. So, you know, she's seen as, you know, having extreme mood swings. She's very irritable, sometimes irrational and just like generally over emotional. And it's used for like comedic effect. And it's the punchline of many jokes, which obviously means that it's not accurate, accurately being presented. Um, but it did uh, sort of. I don't know if it gave me so much as like confirmed that menopause was sort of like the singular thing that, you know, biological women experienced more or less similarly, but obviously you're going to tell us how that's not really the case at all. Yeah. So there are a few menopausal symptoms that are, that seem to be linked to the body and are more universal. Um, And this research, just to preface it, this research wasn't done through one specific study it was more a collaboration of different researchers coming together from across the world to compare what they had done separately. So none of this is like done with specific standards, although it does still seem to be done with care. So just to preface, but the ones that seem to be more universal, the the symptoms that seem to be more universal are the vasomotor symptoms, which include let me find it. Uh, hot flashes and night sweats. So things like that are present across the globe in 
uh, menopausal women. But there are a lot of other symptoms that are more present in some cultures and less present in others. So um, emotional symptoms, like you said, um, are obviously very um, like bothersome because if you know you're going through menopause and there's also like emotional distress that's going to be more stressful, more upsetting. Um, I have the pizza commercial stuck in my head. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, pizza. That is completely right. Uh, it's the more this, more that. <laughs> <laughs> Something, I don't know. I don't know. No, it's actually really funny. I have um, I the Burger King commercial stuck in my head. Oh, the horrible one? The Whopper, 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 I Whopper. I hate Whopper. it. I hate that <laughs> so much. But yeah, um, it turns out that while vasomotor symptoms are more universal, not all of them are. Um, things like joint pains, um, hot flashes, as I said, night sweats, those kinds of symptoms are found across the world and are more related to the um, hormonal changes that happen with menopause. So when you go through menopause, obviously your body is producing different hormones. <laughs> Yay! Yay! I'm so excited! So you go through changes in your body and these can affect how you feel however the cultural like value that we place on the cessation of menstruation can impact how you feel about it in so countries that like put a high emphasis on women being able to reproduce and have a high like kind of sexualization of the female body in those countries, it seems that, like, the emotional component of menstruation is more common. So, like, for example, if you, if you are in a culture that values your, like, sexual competency as, like, your value as a woman, it's obviously going to be upsetting when your, um, like, menstruation ends, when you're no longer able to produce children. And I think that that's really interesting is that it can manifest in like the different ways that you feel about well then because you're useless at that point you know you're <laughs> <laughs> to say it very nicely it's just relatively like, speaking yeah, yeah. Totally <laughs> nicely, if yeah. you're viewed as a commodity that you're like supposed to reproduce and bring in more commodities and you stop being able to do that then like what's the point of you you know like if that's the emphasis that's been put on you yeah hi naomi hi okay so i was wondering if like if people in certain cultures perceive like the beginnings of menopause as the end of like that of like reproduction does that like do they perceive like in certain cultures the end of womanhood if Ooh. if in a way of like they perceive like oh you're a woman you have to like your goal or like your role is to produce children but when menopause happens is that the end of their womanhood I think to answer that I kind of have a thought about that because what does like what constitutes a woman other than like being able to give birth is just taking care of those that you've given birth to and being able to take care of the people around you which is you know arguably not the best thing to have as you know your only job mm -hmm. but I guess an extension of your question is even let's just say that you've gone through menopause you're unable to reproduce anymore your children have either married off or went to college you're an empty nester. Where does that leave us, if that makes sense? 
Yeah, so in like cultures where that would be the emphasis is like you're an empty nest, you can't fill that nest anymore. It does make sense that the like emotional distress component of uh of menstruation would be Take present. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's very interesting because some languages don't even have a word for menopause. Hmm. So, like, obviously in English we call it menopause, um, the pausing of menstruation. Mm-hmm. Um, but some countries, like, they don't necessarily have it as this big, like, life milestone. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh, I stopped menstruating. Okay. And you carry on with your life. So it's very, it's very interesting. You would think that if, like, in those cultures, like, if it was more, if it affected them more, like, profoundly, that they would have a word for it. So it seems like if we put enough emphasis on something like that, no, that, that it becomes really worse. It's very interesting. Yeah. Naomi, I know you're... Miss Linguistics. <laughs> Miss Linguistics. <laughs> you, got, you got something for us. That's a little <laughs> shout-out for next episode. Shout-out for next episode. Linguistics. <laughs> if we want to keep talking about linguistics, I have highlighted some sections in my notes that have um, a connection to linguistics because the way that we perceive our body and feel about it is also connected to how we talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing about the... Um, men- menopause in general is that even in different like again as we said hot flashes is one of the more universal symptoms of menopause but even in different sites uh women's descriptions of hot flashes were different Mm -hmm. so the way that we describe how we're feeling and even i guess potentially the way that we do feel it can be different depending on our culture and where we're from so this brings up the question that I was asking earlier um, that led me to do all of this research, which is how does culture affect the way our bodies feel? Um, Again, this isn't something that necessarily has like a two-sentence answer or like a universally true answer. Um, Just like the way that we perceive our bodies and express how we feel our bodies doesn't have a universal truth. It's different depending on who you are, where you're from, where you are and things so like Melissa, that. So Melissa, you mentioned something about linguistics. Um, in the next episode, I'll be talking about revitalization of languages. Yay! 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 <laughs> Super exciting stuff. 